I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Grab your Bible, if you would, and go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And for a few minutes, I want to uh, look at verses 10 through 17 with you as we continue this series entitled, uh, It's Getting Real. It's Getting Real. If you're guests today, uh, we have been walking through First and Second Timothy over the last uh, several weeks. And uh, we find ourselves in this last letter that Paul is writing uh, just before he is uh, beheaded in Rome. If you have a study Bible or you were to pick up a commentary, uh, you might see a header over this little section as the struggle of the Christian life or struggling in the Christian life. And so I've entitled the message today, uh, The Struggle, The Struggle in the World in Which We Live as uh, the culture is becoming more and more hostile toward Christianity as we see Christian persecution on the rise. You and I are called to struggle, struggle through, to struggle with our faith and to be counted faithful to our Lord in these last days. Now, I had a, uh, a very uh, infamous career in high school as a pitcher. As a matter of fact, on the baseball team, about six months ago, I was talking to my high school baseball coach, and he gave me a very encouraging word when he said to me, uh, you know, in high school, I was always amazed, as big as you were, that you had an arm like a noodle. I had actually, in high school, I actually had a game where we played a really, really bad team, and I threw a no-hitter, and so I'll be signing baseball cards out in the lobby after the service. If I would tell you the truth, here's the truth, I struggled many times finding the strike zone. Do we have any pitchers in the room that pitched? In, or you know what I'm talking about. There's some days you're throwing it and it's there, and there are other days you're throwing it and you can't find the strike zone at all. I read this week about a rookie baseball pitcher. Uh, he was struggling to find the strike zone, and so finally the catcher walked out to him and he said, you know, you always seem to struggle at the same moment. And so this big lefty looked back at him and said, when is that? And he said, right after the national anthem. Maybe today you're here and in your Christian life and your Christian walk, you feel like the national anthem just finished. Maybe you walked in here today and you're struggling. You're just struggling. You're struggling in your walk with the Lord. You're struggling with the culture. You're struggling with the world, the scene of the world right now and everything that's going on. And Christian, I need to remind you, that's, that's not something new. It was going on for the Christians in the 60s. Remember in 64 is when Nero began his intense, barbaric, brutal persecution of the Christians. Second Timothy most likely was written around the year 67. Paul is at death's door. He has shackles around his wrist. He is about to uh, be beheaded for the sake of the gospel. Christians 
are losing their lives. They're being uh, thrown into the arena with the lions. They are being burned at the stake. And Paul sits down and writes this letter to Timothy in this environment to tell him, Timothy, don't quit. Keep struggling. It's going to pay off in the end. And so God sent me here today to tell you, you may feel that weight right now. You may feel that struggle in your life and in your heart. And God reminds us today, don't quit, keep struggling. Now look in the text with me for just a minute, if you would. And we're going to look at three things, three things about struggling. And I really want you to put it in your mind in the context of right now, though we do feel persecution, we do feel uh, the pressure, if you will. Uh, there's not just persecution going on across the seas. There's Christian persecution going on in our town. Now, there are not houses being burned or people being beheaded, but there is a very strong pushback an attack coming against us for just simply saying that we believe the Word of God, that we believe the Bible is true, that we are accountable to our Creator, and there is a question still to be answered about all of our lives is will we struggle, will we suffer well, will we remain faithful to our Lord? Last Sunday I mentioned to you about the time frame of 260 to 303, when there was somewhat of a reprieve against Christian persecution. But of course, that did not last. Really in about the year 302 until the year 313, there was severe persecution under the leadership of Diocletian. Diocletian made an edict called the Edict of the Christian. And in that, he wanted to stop Christianity, to stop the spread of the faith. He had a cohort named Galerius who uh, was actually more brutal than Diocletian. Diocletian said, no, we're not going to have bloodshed. I, I don't want my, uh, my empire to uh, just be bloody. What we're going to do is we're going to confiscate all of the Christian writings. We're going to confiscate all of the copies of the Scripture. We are going to destroy and burn down all the churches. Remember, uh, the concept of the church was fairly a new thing. And so these church buildings or public places of worship were popping up all around. And, and instead of just killing the Christians, they said, well, we'll knock down the churches. We'll confiscate all their writings and we'll put a stop to this. And, and uh, uh, Galerius said, no, 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 we, that, that's not to get the job done. What we need to do is we need to publicly burn them all at the stake. This caused many Christians or uh, some that were even uh, seeking and listening to Christianity to, to walk away or to hide. Uh, some of them were uh, coming and becoming inquisitive to the gospel, but ultimately because of what they saw going on, it was, it was just too fearful for them. And then Eusebius wrote about this time about those that remained faithful. Now please hear this. The Christians that suffered well, the Christians that struggled through this time, and said, you know what, no matter what I face, no matter what is said about me, no matter what is done to me, I will remain faithful to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Eusebius wrote, and we beheld the most wonderful ardor and the truly divine energy and zeal of those who believed in Christ. For as soon as this sentence was pronounced against the first, now watch, as soon as the first sentence 
under the edict of the Christian, went out. Eusebius wrote, one after another, Christians rushed to the judgment seat and they confessed themselves as Christians. And regarding with indifference the terrible thing, the multi-form tortures, they declared themselves boldly and undoubtedly for the religion of the God of the universe. And they received the final sentence of death with joy and laughter and cheerfulness. They sang songs. They offered up hymns. Hear this on this Thanksgiving week. They continually offered up thanksgivings to the God of the universe until their last The pain, the suffering, the rejection, the struggle did not stop them from staying faithful to their Lord until the very end. I don't know about you, I was talking with some family members a couple of days ago, and I told them, I said, you know what, I'm going to be 50 next year. That's hard to believe, <laughs> 50. As you get older, some of you are older than me, but as you get older, you certainly think about what does the future hold? And you think about, I want to finish well. I want to finish well. And church, we, we do not know. We do not know what is ahead for us. We don't know what we're going to face. And before we get into the middle of the vice, in the middle of the fire, in the middle of even deeper pressure, and persecution. It makes sense to me that right now we would make up our mind that we will stay faithful to our Lord no matter what comes our way. Paul gives the struggle here in this text. I want to show you three things we got to struggle with. Look at it with me. The first thing that Paul is challenging Timothy on is, Timothy, you've got to struggle with your own faith. It's your faith. Now, he gives him this reminder of the example that he set for him. Timothy would not go to heaven because Paul was his pastor or his buddy or his mentor. Timothy would only go to heaven because of his own personal faith. Now, watch. Paul's here for a minute. You're not going to go to heaven because you were born into a Christian family. I'm not going to go to heaven because my grandfather was a pastor or because my mom and dad are Christians. I'm going to go to heaven because when I was 13 years old, I acknowledged my sin. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I confessed my sin and confessed him as Lord. And that faith that I had seen in my family, that I had seen lived out in others, it became my faith. For Timothy, he had that testimony. Paul lays that out here in the text. He first of all says in verse number 10, you, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Look at verse 14. Paul challenges him personally. But as for you, 
continue. Timothy, that word there means to stay, to reside. Timothy, you live right here. Live in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Here's this man at the point of death saying to this young pastor, Timothy, you have seen the gospel lived out in me and through me. You've had a front row seat. You've heard my doctrine. Timothy, you've seen my life. You've seen how I have acted, how I have treated elders, how I have treated the lost. You've seen me fulfill my purpose. Timothy, my faith. You've seen me have patience. You've seen me have steadfastness. Paul is saying here that I have done my best, not in a perfect way, but I have done my best to live out the command of our Lord before he left to go into all the world and make disciples. I'm going to tell you what spoke to me in these two verses. That for Paul, he knew that even if he died, that he had invested in others And there was at least one young man named Timothy coming behind him. Can I ask you something, Christian? You know, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Then I got to ask you, who is coming behind you? Who are you investing in? Who are you pouring into, living out your faith, being an example to, an example for them to follow? My son Blake and I were together this week and we were talking about uh, the gospel and about the Christian life. And I said to Blake, I said, Blake, you know, someday when we stand before the Lord, think about all the people who call themselves Christians who have been given the task or the command to share their faith and to evangelize and, and just to tell the good news of what has happened in their life. Think about standing before the Lord one day and not having anybody that you have brought with you along the journey. I was challenging him as a young man, as a young 22-year-old young man. I was saying, Blake, you need to be focused on bringing some people with you. You need to be investing in others. Am I speaking to a church today that believes that's biblical, that's what the gospel is? That Christ changes you, he opens your eyes Men, you're thankful and grateful for what God has done in you and through you, and you want to see God do that in someone else. And God does the saving. Amen? You can't save anybody. There'd be a whole lot more people saved right now if I could save people, right? You witness and you witness and you talk and you talk and you quote Scripture, and, and quite frankly, you even get lectured to, right? Anybody have a grandma or a mom or a dad that just, I mean, when you were younger, they lectured you about the truth, right? Yeah. Pouring into you, investing in you. But at the end of the day, only the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. The Holy Spirit draws us to the Savior and shows us the cross, our need for Jesus. And then once you see that and you accept it and you embrace it, your life is radically changed. How in the world could you ever keep that to yourself? How in the world could you not share with others of what Jesus has done in your life? And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you've seen me struggle. You've seen me live out my faith in a lot of different situations. Now it's time for you to live out your own faith. When you think about the Lord Jesus ascending back into heaven in John chapter 13, 
that famous words in uh, chapter 14, verse number one, where he says to the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Well, why wouldn't they be troubled? Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven. And then in John chapter 15, we'll see here in just a minute, he lets them know that the road ahead is not going to be easy. And I don't know about you, but if I know that the road ahead is not going to be easy, I sure would feel better about it if Jesus stuck around. Jesus looked at them and said, hey, don't, don't you be troubled. Don't you be worried. You believe in God, believe also in me. Paul is saying to Timothy something similar here. Timothy, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. I'm checking out of here. You've seen me live out my faith. Now you go do the same. Struggle with your own faith. I want you to think about what Paul went through. Look at verse number 12. I'm sorry, verse 11. Paul reminded Timothy of what Timothy had a front row seat for. My persecutions and sufferings, the things that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Here's your homework assignment. As I've done a couple times this week, go back and read Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14. Paul, on his first missionary journey, his first one, he was persecuted. He was abused. There was a plot at Iconium to stone him, but the Lord delivered him from that. But when he got to Lystra, the scripture records he was stoned so badly that they thought he was dead. Now, when Paul got himself together and he was able to process what just happened to him, I have to wonder in my heart, if I would have just gone to the house, I wonder in my heart, in my life, would there even have been a second missionary journey? God, where are you? <laughs> why, why are you putting me through this? God, this is not fair. Hear me. The things that Paul went through in his life, they were not because he was doing wrong. He was going through that for the sake of the gospel. As we struggle, as we struggle in our faith, be reminded today, church, there's someone on the other end of your struggle. There's someone's deliverance. There's someone's salvation. And, and now is not the time to quit. It doesn't matter what we're going through. Even for Paul, he said, you know what, Timothy, you know the Lord rescued me out of all of my troubles. But we know that this next rescue would not happen here on this earth, but it would happen on the other side. William Henderson said, the Lord ever rescues his people frequently from death, but sometimes by the means of death. Either way, nothing ever separates us from his love. You know, the world doesn't understand that, right? If a father knows that his child is in trouble, typically, last week we talked about that natural affection it's normal to want to help or to rescue or to deliver. What Henriksen is saying here is that the Lord always delivers. Sometimes it's here and sometimes it's over there. And what he wants us to do is to struggle through our faith with courage. Erwin Lutzer says, Christianity without courage is cultural atheism. God is calling his church today to have courage and to struggle with our own faith. 
So let me ask you before I move on, have you settled your own personal faith? Do you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? We had three or four people in the first service today who raised their hand and said, this is not settled in my heart. Please hear me. Being religious will not get you into heaven. It's knowing Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Having that settled in your life, do you, do you have a personal faith? Some of you have a testimony of mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or a neighbor or a coworker that is living out their faith in front of you and God placed them in your life so you could see with a front row seat what it means to be a Christian. And now he's calling you to be one and to live out your faith. So in the struggle, we've all got to struggle with our own faith, and we've got to continue on in what we have learned and in what we firmly believe. The second thing in verse 12 and 13 is that we've got to struggle through our own persecution. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you in the room today would say, hey, you know, I've not had my house burned down, I've, I, you know, I've not been thrown into jail, I've not been arrested, never gone through anything like that, but in your mind, you went through a situation, maybe mild or minor, but you felt like you went through some type of persecution because of your faith, right? Come on, raise it up high and leave your hand up, okay? Many, many of us across the room have been through something. And, and quite frankly, most of us would have to admit that we kind of feel guilty because there are others who've gone through a lot worse than we have, right? Now, tonight, I told you to have your Bible open or to write your favorite verse or a verse that means a lot to you on a three-by-five card, and I'm going to guess there's nobody in this room that has made verse 12 as your life's verse. Because this is not, this is not what we want to sign up for. This is not what we pray for every day. Lord, make it hard. Make it difficult. No. But Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you've seen it happen to me, and you need to know it in your life, and you need to tell all the Christians around you that indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Someone in this church said to me this week, on the phone, they said, you know, I really been thinking about my Christian walk, and I'm a little bit concerned because I see others that the devil's really attacking, and I'm not feeling it as much. And it seems like the devil really attacks those who want to live for the Lord and those who are making a difference. Now, why do I say that? I say that because of the word desire there in verse uh, number 12. Circle that word in your Bible. If you desire, desire, do you have a desire today to please the Lord? Do you have a desire today to live for Jesus Christ? Do you have a desire today to live a godly life? I'm afraid there's some people in and around the church that, that have lost that desire, that you want to step forward. You, you want to be in the battle. You realize you're a soldier in the army of the king. And you want to struggle. No, you're not excited about persecution, but you're saying, look, in this day and time, the hour is too urgent. We cannot back up. We can't shut up. We can't shy away. We can't hide. 
We've got to step forward and be counted for our king and our master. Lord, I desire it. I'm willing. I'm ready. Even if it means that it's going to cost me my life. That's easy preaching and hard living. The disciples fully understood. At least they had very clear instructions. And when Jesus called them and sent them out, that this was not going to be a life of ease. It was going to be difficult. As a matter of fact, this is what Jesus said to them in John chapter 15. In verse number 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus said, I chose you, I called you, I commissioned you, you are one of my own, I'm sending you out. Know this before you go. They are going to hate you, not because of you, but because of me. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you. Servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. We have always lived in a God-hating, God-rejecting world. It's not anything new. The world hates God. The world hates Jesus. The world hates the gospel. The world hates Christians. How many of you feel it right now? Do you feel it? No, do you really feel it? And it's not going to get better. It's not going to get better. The Bible says it's going to get worse. And it's going to get worse. If you want to step forward and be counted worthy for the Lord in this day and this age, right now, real time, you have got to be willing to give your life for the sake of the gospel. I heard the story the other day of a storm that was out on the sea. And so the captain of the Coast Guard told his crew, look, guys, we've got an SOS here. We've got to go. We have no choice. We've got to go. One of the young junior officers there was nervous. I'd have been him, I promise you, in that moment. One of the young junior officers spoke up and he said, Sir, but if, but if we go out there, we, we, we may not come back. And the captain looked at him and he said, Son, we have to go out there, but we don't have to come back. We have to go out there, but we don't have to come back. What was he saying in that moment? He was saying, we have been commissioned. We have been given orders. We've got a job to do. When an SOS goes out from a ship and that ship is in trouble, we're the guys and the ladies that go after them. We can't sit here and ignore it. We've got to go. And if we don't come back, then we've just died fulfilling the mission that we have been commissioned to do. Oh, think about that today, Christian. That's a Coast Guard story, but it's a story of the Christian faith. Because you come to Christ, it does not mean that you're not going to give your life for that sake, for that gospel. You've got a mission on your life. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for our 4,000 IMB missionaries. It's for all of us. It's for every single Christian. 
we must be determined that we will die for the sake of the gospel. Persecution. Persecution. We got to struggle with our own persecution. We got to struggle through it. We can't run. We can't hide. We can't avoid it. Because all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted in the theater of, in the setting of, evil people. Look at verse 13. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I don't know how many times in the last two or three months somebody has said to me, can you believe? And then talked about something going on. And some of that includes theology. Some of that includes some sermons that have been preached. Some of it is the government. Some of it is the culture. Some of it is the world. We're living in a day where most of us are saying things like, I'm just not shocked at anything anymore. Look in your Bible, Christian, verse 13. Evil people will go from bad to worse. Why? They are deceived. They are blinded by the darkness of this world. That's what Jesus told his disciples, right? They're in darkness. They can't see. They're blind. They're evil. And men are going to get worse and worse in the last days. Why are we shocked when sinners sin? Is that a fair question? Why are we shocked when sinners get worse and worse when our Bible tells us it's going to be that way? And when sinners get worse and worse, the scope gets turned on the Christian community and what we believe and what our Lord has declared in His Word. The question for us today is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to struggle through it? Are we going to struggle with our faith? Are we going to struggle through the persecution and say, no matter what comes my way, the Lord is going to deliver me from it all. Christian, hear me. The worst thing, the worst thing that could happen to us today is that we draw our last breath and we are in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. That's a strong faith, a strong faith that struggles through the persecution. Let me give you the third thing in the text that we need to struggle with. We need to struggle with the Scriptures. Struggle with the Scriptures. Anybody found yourself lately maybe struggling with a passage? Or, or maybe struggling with your life as it compares to a passage that you've read? You say, man, I've got to get over here. I've got to get my life in line. I want you to look at the blessing that Timothy had from his childhood. Now, if you were to think about your heritage and you think about your family, think about Timothy. He had his mother and his grandmother from childhood. Verse number 15 says, they're pouring into him and they are teaching him the sacred writings. Some of you grew up in a home where your mom and your dad were not Christian. You didn't grow up with that privilege. If you grew up in a Christian family on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, you ought to just thank God for that. Amen? Thank God for a mom and dad that taught you and modeled out their faith. And Paul says, Timothy, from a, from a young boy, you had the sacred writings poured into you. Now think about Timothy. I've had some wonderful mentors and friends and, and people that have poured into me through the years. But think about the special privilege 
that Timothy had having Paul as his mentor and his pastor. Can you even believe that? One of the great missionaries, great church planners, the dude that wrote most of the New Testament in your Bible today. And Timothy had him as a personal friend and a personal mentor. What a blessing. As I read through that, I'm reminded of what the Scripture says. It says, to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. So if you've been blessed with a lot in your Christian faith and heritage, there is an expectation in your life. The expectation is for you to take the Holy Scriptures and to live it out and to struggle with it. Look at what the text says. It says that you have had the sacred writings. I hold in my hand today what I believe to be the sacred writings. The Holy Scriptures. This is not just another book at Barnes and Nobles. This is the Holy Word of God. This is God speaking to us. What I hold in my hand today, what you hold in your hand today, it is a treasure. It's a treasure. And that word sacred there means holy. It means holy. It is from God. I'm thankful today for my copy of the Scriptures because it's in this book alone. Hear me. It's in this book alone. The end of verse 15 says, from which we are able to be made wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. There is a God. There's one God. The God of the universe. The Creator of all things. Man is accountable to Him. In His grace and in His mercy, He gave us a book that we hold in our hand today. The last book written about the year 90, 1900 years ago. We hold this in our hand today. And what is the beauty of this book? It is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. But the beauty of this book is that it reveals to us how we can have a relationship with God, the creator of the universe. It shows us that we are sinful and that God sent His only Son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for us so that we could have our relationship with the Father repaired. There is no other book that can show you how to make your way to God from this earth. Am I right, church, or wrong? Am I right? This is it. This is the book. This is the holy book that points us to the cross and points us to salvation, and points us to forgiveness. But the truth is today, it's not anything new, but it certainly is intensified, is that this book is under attack. The Bible is under attack. As a matter of fact, in the last few days, there was a seminar over in Texas of some scholars, and one of the scholars there made the statement that the Pentateuchal author did not intend for the reader to take his writings literally. Now that sent off a little bit of firestorm in that this particular person has been known as a conservative orthodox uh, scholar, if you will. And so the question is, where did that come from, right? Why are, we, why are we making a statement to cast doubt upon this word? Because 
That's not a new trick. That's what Satan did in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Did God really mean? And so we move on into verse number 16, and this is something you've, we've all got to struggle with. Look at me for a minute. Several years ago, we did a survey in the church, not just the members, but all attenders, and we compiled all of the information, and to my shock and surprise, there was a good group of people in the audience, in the church, that had not settled the matter of the inspiration, the infallibility, and in the inerrancy of the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, look at it. Look down in your Bible. It says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now hear me, I'm open to learning. I'm open to discovery. I want to be a lifelong learner. But please hear me today. I have a backbone like a saw log when it comes to the inspiration of the Word of God. That the Bible is literally God-breathed. The word there is a combination of two words. Theo, which is God. Theology, the study of God. The second half of that word is the word from which we get the Holy Spirit. Pneuma, or breath. This is God breathing out on man. This is God speaking through man to give us a book that is directly from him. I love what Lee and Griffin said in the New American Commentary. This word inspiration, God breathed. The idea, the term presents is that God has breathed his character into the scripture so that it is inherently inspired. It is God-breathed. It is given to us from God through man. Now, let me expand this quickly by pointing to something Peter said about the book that we have in our hands. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 19. Look on the screen. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Now let me pause there for a minute before I read verse 21 and say, again, that as you read through their Bible, your Bible, there is only one interpretation of every text. Only one. You say, yeah, well, I know this person, and they believe this, and this person. Okay, I understand that. You and I might have some differences of opinion on a certain passage and certain text, but I think the problem is, is that many times we run to men and women to get their view and their idea of what something says as opposed to the text and the Holy Spirit revealing to us what God has said. There are many different applications but there is only one interpretation. Sometimes I get in conversations and, and people say things like, well, you know, I just feel like so-and-so and so-and-so. Okay, well, let's open up our Bible. What passage are we going to look at here? Well, you know, I don't have time. I don't really know, but that's some really weak doctrine. Okay, really weak. Because everything that we believe, everything we believe, it should come 
from the Scriptures. It should come from the Bible. It is our God. It is our textbook. It is, it is breathed into us by God. Look at verse 21 as to how we received the word. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, to be honest with you today, this could be a several-week Bible study at all of the different twists and turns of this verse. But in summary for this message, let me say that we believe that men, men were moved by God through the Holy Spirit to write exactly what God wanted them to write. Now, sometimes people say things like, well, the Bible's inspired. Some of you remember when I preached a few months ago on progressive Christianity that in the progressive Christian world, they use the word inspired, but they do not use it in the context that you and I do. And, that, and they would say, well, you know, like Shakespeare inspires, Paul inspires, Jesus inspires. And that's not what we believe about inspiration. There are others who would say that sometimes a, a poet might sit down and write, and they might have like an out-of-body experience to where they finished their piece and they don't even really realize what happened and it was so beautiful because they got in touch with their inner being or the world or whatever and so they wrote this beautiful piece and that was a moment of inspiration. That's not what we believe happened with the Bible. We believe that holy men of God wrote. They wrote as God directed them. They wrote through their personalities. They wrote through their life experience. We see that over and over in the Apostle Paul's life, but we believe that every verse and every line that we have in our Bible today, it is God-breathed. It is from God through holy men. We also believe that today in 2021, on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, that the Word of God, it is useful. How many of you found in your life lately the Bible is useful? A verse comes to mind, something you're going through, a hardship, a difficulty, and a verse comes to your mind. You've got a decision to make, and you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn my phone off, and I'm going to turn the TV off, and I'm going to get in the Word, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to pray. God gives you guidance and light. You know why? Because the Bible today is profitable. It's fresh bread for our souls. How does it profit us? Real quick, and I'm going to finish. It profits us for teaching, for our that word there is for doctrine. If you have a doctrine, back it up with Scripture, not with some book somebody's written, but back it up with the Scriptures. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. And that word reproof there has to do with correcting our doctrine, that we want to get it right. We want it to be pure. We get that from the Bible. We get it for correction. Anybody ever found yourself misguided on a particular subject or a particular thing, and once you got it in the Bible, it gave you guidance and light? Yeah, that's the word there, correction. Anybody, anybody ever been disobedient in your walk with the Lord? And the Bible just kind of reached out and smacked you, right? And said, no, 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 no. Don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. Don't blame it on someone else. If we confess our sin, 
He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Confess means just throw your hands up and say, God, I'm saying the same thing you've said about what I'm doing. I confess it. The Word of God brings us correction. And oh, how many times in my life do I need course correction? Can anybody say amen right there? The Word of God brings that. The Word of God is profitable for training in righteousness. We've seen that word training in Paul's writings. And in some places, it's translated the same word as gymnasium, a place where you go to work out, lift weights, that kind of thing. But that's not the word he uses here in this verse. This word has to do with with discipline. It has to do, really, with parental guidance. The guidance and the care that you give to your children to make sure that they're safe and that their life is heading in the right direction. That is exactly what the Word of God does for us. And what does it do? It trains us up in righteousness, in living the Christ life. For what purpose? so that it will have an effect on our life. So Christian, I want to ask you before I read verse 17, is the Word of God having an effect on your life right now? Is it affecting you? The way you're living, the way you're talking, the way you're spending your time, your energy, your passion, your resources? Is the Bible just a thing of knowledge that you're kind of filing up here in your computer files and, you know, stacking it away? Or is it having an effect on you? Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, the Word of God is alive, it's breathing, it's working for a purpose. What is that purpose? Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I love that. I don't have time to really unpack it. But that word complete there, it means capable, capable. Man, I love that word. I want you to think about it with me for just a minute. God wants his children, born again, saved by his grace, being taught the holy scriptures, the sacred writings. You're growing. You're growing up in Christ. Colossians, you're getting rooted. The roots are getting deeper. You're getting built up. How? Why? So that you can go out there and be capable to represent your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to be capable. Capable doesn't mean you have all the answers. I'm learning more and more as I get older. It's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out when we get there. Capable means that you can go out and you can be an ambassador and speak for your Lord. Speak for your Savior. And that until Jesus comes, you can be equipped for every good work. I love that word equipped there. It means to finish, to bring to an end, that you want the Lord's work to be accomplished and done in your life. How many of you, when Jesus comes back, you don't want to be sitting up in the stands drinking a Coke Zero. You want to be in the game. Nothing wrong with Coke Zero, but when Jesus comes back, you don't want to be a spectator in the kingdom. You don't want to be tangled up in the things of this world. You want to be doing the work that he's called you to do. You want to be fulfilling your purpose. You want to be capable, and you want to stay faithful to him until the very end. Let me summarize this passage with two things. Here it is, and I'm done. Matter of fact, stand with me. Here it is. Here it is. As we struggle, anybody anybody want to just admit in God's house today you struggled some this week? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you didn't, we're happy for you. Get ready for this week. Okay? 
struggle. We're always going to struggle, the spirit and the flesh. Struggle, 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 struggle. You know what this passage says? Two things. Paul shows us two things. While we struggle, we need to lean on each other, and we need to lean on the Scriptures. It really is that simple. Lean on each other and lean on the Scriptures. Would you bow your head with me?